This is Voices from Israel, a special podcast series of the Good People Fund, where GPF grantees and partners describe their work responding to the October 7 attack on Israel and the resulting war. In this second episode, GPF Executive Director Naomi Eisenberger welcomes and introduces Julie Fisher as GPF's new Director of Engagement. Julie was the founder and director of the Consortium for Israel and the Asylum Seekers. She describes challenges to the asylee population in Israel before and since October 7, and how the nonprofit sector is helping this vulnerable community. For more information, visit goodpeoplefund.org. Here's Naomi and Julie in conversation. It's my pleasure this morning to welcome Julie Fisher and introduce Julie as the Good People Fund's new Director of Engagement. The Good People Fund is growing and we are adding another staff person and we could not be any more excited than it is Julie. Julie is joining us now at an, an extraordinary time, not only in the Good People Fund's history as we enter our 16th year, but also because these are remarkable and historic times in the grassroots nonprofit field, as there are so many new issues of need and older ones are becoming even more relevant. And of course, with everything that has happened in Israel over the last five plus weeks, Julie brings to us a unique perspective and a vision that really is grounded in her own experience. She is a, an educator. She's a nonprofit leader and an advocate. And that all happened in both Israel and the U.S. Julie, welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Naomi. In the past, we've worked with Julie in her capacity as founder of the Consortium for Israel and, and the Asylum Seekers during the years that she was living in Israel with her family. Let's introduce our listeners to, to the consortium. You're starting it and why um, the background? Sure. I love to talk about the consortium. You know, my story is that I moved to uh, Israel from the United States 12 years ago with my husband who served as a diplomat for the U.S. government. And when I got there, and I'm an educator by training, and uh, when I got to Israel, the, I was immersed in a diplomatic bubble, and it was a, an honor and a privilege to serve uh, the United States. And I was also determined to find a way out of the bubble and find a way to contribute to society during my time there. Uh, one day, I went on tour with the embassy, and it included a visit to a dilapidated baby warehouse where the children of asylum seekers and migrant workers were, were housed. When I saw it, I couldn't look away. Uh, it was 20 minutes from where I lived in, in a beautiful area. And I, I thought this is going to be the way that I contribute. So that was the beginning of my journey that led me to several years later, uh, about five years ago, forming the consortium where we gathered volunteers and donors and anyone who was interested in making a difference in the lives of the asylum-seeking community come together and have an impact. What's happening with the consortium now that you've left Israel? As a family, thrilled to be back in the USA, closer to our family once again. 
uh, our time in Israel was filled with, with learning and service and getting to know Israeli culture. And I was privileged to work with the asylum seeking community and the many small nonprofits that work with and for them. Uh, I stayed in close touch with them. So I've been following the situation uh, extremely closely, especially after the terrible massacre of October 7th, which impacted everyone in Israeli society from all sectors of life, including those most vulnerable, the, and uh, one of which is the asylum-seeking community. And they have indeed been extremely hard hit with uh, record levels of unemployment immediately. It reminds me, it reminds all of us of the time at the beginning of COVID-19, where the community uh, went to about 70% unemployment overnight. And there are some good news stories, one of which is that uh, the asylum-seeking community was one of, in South Tel Aviv, was one of the first to do some food insecurity projects, which they themselves spearheaded in a mm. remarkable show of solidarity with the wider community. The Negev Refugee Center down south is, is a grantee of ours, and I was thrilled to see that those refugees actually got matching t-shirts and went as a group to help the effort. I think that points to so many things that are positive. Let's backtrack a little bit. Who are we talking about when we talk about the asylum seekers in Israel? Who are they? And you know, primarily, where are they from? How many and why did they end up in Israel? There are primarily the African asylum-seeking community is made up of about approximately 70% Eritreans and 20% those who fled from Sudan, primarily from the Darfur region, mm -hmm. where there was, of course, a genocide and there is ongoing violence, and about 10% other areas in Africa. They came to Israel fleeing violence and persecution and genocide from both places. Some of the community went through Egypt, and many had an arduous, arduous and dangerous journey through the Sinai Desert, including many who were trafficked uh, against their will from refugee camps in Africa and were uh, discarded at the border of Israel, the southern border of Israel. Yeah. There are now uh, fewer than 30,000. And down yeah. from numbers that were over double that 10 years ago. So the numbers have been steadily decreasing as many uh, move on from Israel to other Western countries and are resettled there. How many were repatriated? Didn't, um, wasn't there a time when the Israeli government was sending people back? There was or, a time or, when there was a threat of deportation, uh, which is actually the time when, uh, when we formed the consortium. It was a time of heightened distress, and there were threats coming from the government that asylum seekers in mass would be repatriated uh, to Eritrea and Sudan or other countries. So there is not a lot of repatriation because it is dangerous for those yeah. who even resided briefly in Israel to go back to Eritrea or to Sudan. Sudan. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because they would be considered traitors and their lives would be in jeopardy. There was also a time where there was a move to resettle them in other African countries, and that has also uh, that was that also ended very poorly for those who took that route. It, it would not be incorrect to say that 
the welcome that these people received when they got to Israel was less than hospitable. Correct. It has been uh, a difficult road for statusless communities in Israel, including the African asylum seekers. And that that said, there are also remarkable Israelis who have really risen up to meet the humanitarian needs of the strangers among them and have worked diligently to repair the social fabric. And I think it's really a, a testament to their success at welcoming newcomers when you look at the uh, food and security project that the African Psalm Seekers did. They were even in the same place, in the same place in the city where I remember 10 years ago, Israelis dropping off food. And to think about 10 years later, mm-hmm. the asylum security community themselves collecting food for anyone in Israel who needed it after the massacre of October 7th. It was, it felt re- very full circle. How many organizations are there actually that address the asylum seeking community? There are many. We did a we did a mapping of all the different organizations that meet the needs of in some way of the asylum seeking mm-hmm. communities. There are about ten, I won't say large because none of them are particularly large, but ten main organizations that endeavor to meet the needs of the asylum seeking community. And then there are a you know a dozen or so others. They touch upon vulnerable communities, and that includes the African. Uh, asylum-seeking community in terms of uh, health care or women's rights or, you know, uh, homelessness, issues like that. What do you see or what are you hearing about October 7th and the real impact it has had on specifically on this community? Yeah, uh, I'm in close contact with the, many of the small NGOs. And as you know, they have small budgets. Yes. Their staff members are overworked. And part of the, the strategy for this vulnerable population is that they were just beginning to recover mm-hmm. from COVID-19. So we right. saw this huge decline and the need for great humanitarian assistance to keep people housed and fed and employed and to keep children safe and to meet healthcare needs. And then all of a sudden, October 7th came out of nowhere affecting the entire country. And uh, what's different about this challenge is different in so many ways. But one way is that the those who care for this for this population and work with them, they themselves are traumatized. So right. all the social workers and the NGO heads and the staff at the NGOs, they themselves uh, lost family members or have family members who have been kidnapped. Mm-hmm. And they still are endeavoring to meet the needs of this vulnerable population with less resilience than they, they would ordinarily have. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's, these are around-the-clock uh, care that's given. These are people who are on the front lines of, of helping others every single day, night and day. So it's particularly heartbreaking to see this community plunged uh, back into this level of need uh, among the wider heartbreak that the entire country is feeling. Uh, every person who's who's in the country. One of the uh, good news stories is there are always, of course, even the worst tragedy. There are glimmers of hope and light, and of course, the Good People Fund is is known for finding those glimmers of hope. We look for the light. Yes, I'm, exactly. Why I'm so excited <laughs> to be joining the team 
the one in particular that I want to highlight that came out of the COVID-19 pandemic and the community's needs was the establishment of the food community food bank. Right. And you were an that, integral part of that. Yes. It was one of my favorite projects to work on because it really was identifying a need, food insecurity, and working in partnership with the city of Tel Aviv through the Tel Aviv Foundation uh, and with Leket and with Masila and with a lot of wonderful NGOs doing good work, um, Pestia's Kitchen, and I can go on and on. Uh, so many with Lasova, so many wonderful organizations with whom I think Good People Fund has had re yeah. relationships over many, many years. And private philanthropy came together as a team to find a community solution for food insecurity. And uh, uh, lo and behold, here we are at another crisis point. And that institution has, was already established. It came out of the last crisis. And right. there it is ready for this crisis. Every community needs to have one. Right. Uh, and thank goodness that, that Tel Aviv has one. And that's sort of a glimmer of light in, in such a sad story at the time right now. Those people who are traditionally at the sort of the bottom are the ones who are most deeply affected by any kind of trauma, any kind of unrest. It probably was with within a week to 10 days after the war started, I started to get word of the needs for the asylum seeking community for food and diapers another very significant item for us that makes it even more important to be sure that we're there to do this. Is it your sense that the existing organizations are meeting these needs now? I think they are in, in the capacity that they are able. Mm -hmm. We're hearing that they are strained, no. yet they continue on. These are, I have so much respect for the good people running these small NGOs and, you know, some are NGOs and some are just projects, as you know, right, uh, just right. uh, good people rising up to meet the needs around them and their community. And it's, it's beautiful. And, uh, and that's what I see them doing, using yeah. creativity, um, telling the story of what's happening, trying to raise awareness of the situation. Yeah. Do you see that the needs of the asylum seekers could be over overshadowed by other critical needs? Well, the, the needs we're seeing in Israel right now are, are just simply unprecedented. Uh, and so the existing organizations are trying to find new ways to meet the needs. And what, one thing that I do see, and it will be interesting to watch, is how organizations such as trauma organizations, yes. health organizations are beginning to sort of envelop the needs of vulnerable populations in their overall response. Mm -hmm. You know, this we're still in the beginning of the aftermath of this horrible tragedy, and it will take a long time for recovery. So what will be interesting to watch is will that continue? Right now, everyone is in a state of trauma and need on different right. levels. And so some of the organizations are opening up a little bit wider. So instead of only mm -hmm. the small NGOs that are meeting the needs of this vulnerable population, uh, we are seeing them included in some of the larger 
that you are seeing that. Okay. Yes, we are seeing that. And that is something that we haven't seen as much uh, in the past. We endeavored to have organizations share resources, work together, and expand the envelope of those uh, involved in having an impact. And indeed, we saw a lot more partnership. We saw grants coming in that were shared between NGOs for the first time, and not for the first time ever, but in, in in our work at the consortium. The relationships between NGOs are becoming warmer and warmer as resources were shared and projects were done jointly. And mm-hmm. and it does appear that there is a lot, a lot of that happening now. What can you add here to our listeners as to what they can do and how they can help the asylum seekers in Israel um, raise awareness? There are many ways to help. And it has I love when people ask me that question, Naomi. <laughs> you don't have you don't have three hours for me to answer that. Right. No, no, that's okay. You can go. <laughs> so I'll give you the short answer, which is yes, yes, and yes. Spread, yes. It's important for those who care to spread the word. For those who want to share the story, there are resources online. You can uh, have a webinar. People invite me to speak about this often. I'll be speaking at my synagogue soon about this topic. There are many ways to help. I would always urge people to to work with trusted partners and the NGOs who are on the ground, as as you know, and as the Good People Fund does. We want uh, people to help people to people with those who are on the ground who really understand what is helpful and what has the biggest impact. It's been delightful to spend this time with you, Julie. First of all, in your role as the the person who impacted the asylum-seeking community so significantly while you were in Israel. But now to call you one of ours is very exciting. So thank you this morning for your insights. Thank you. I am so delighted. Uh, this is a podcast, so people can't see me grinning ear to yeah. ear. Yes, I am both, delighted we're to... Grinning. We're both grinning. <laughs> Delighted to be joining you at the Good People Fund to spread the good word about the impactful, amazing things that uh, the Good People Fund does around the world. So looking forward to great things ahead. Thank you. 